G'day, thanks for listening. Jeez, what a month it's been for my channel. I managed to get out on the Bilberman track for four days and hit the iconic Holland track for four days as well, which for me is pretty good going to get away twice in one month. Okay, so first up, the bib trip. Now I'm 145 kilometers down, which leaves me with 860 kilometers to go, and I'm in no rush to finish the track. Ideally, I'm hoping to stay in every hut along the track. Currently, there are 49, and I've stayed in 12 of them. So on the second of this month, I started hiking at the place I'd ended up the previous month at Sullivan's Rock, which is located along Albany Highway. The last trip I did ended with rain and was an almost carbon copy of the weather, but the forecast for my remaining three days was for sunshine and temperatures in the low to mid 20s. Day one was a bit of an easy 6.2 kilometer walk to Mount Cook campsite. Being a Friday, I expected it to be occupied. However, that wasn't the case for long anyway. It was only the early afternoon and the place hadn't been vacant for long as the firing was still smoldering. So I threw in some wet wood to dry it out and signed the sign in book. I did notice that over the recent days, the hut had had a lot of occupants. After a few hours after arriving, a group of six hikers arrived and after discussing the track, we all had just walked, we discovered that we were planning a very similar trip and therefore we would be together for the next few days. During this discussion, another hiker arrived informing us of a scout group that were on their way and sure enough, as the sun went down, the camp grew to a party of 16 people. The next day I packed up camp after a freezing cold night and hiked up Mount Cook. The view on top is stunning. Looking north are the two previous hills of Mount Cuthbert and Mount Vincent. It was a stunning way to start day number two and the climb back down was just as impressive with views towards the south. After the descent, the track became laborious. A long straight section of track with a slight incline along power lines with loose pea gravel. It made every step noticeable. So I took a break to have lunch at the side of the track where I was informed by two guys from one of the groups that stayed in the hut the previous night that I'd passed a massive dew guy on the track and I had no idea. And so from that point on, I was focusing all my attention on looking out for snakes. It's amazing how much rustling you hear once you're actively listening. So the rest of my hike that day was not as enjoyable as it could have been. I arrived at Narang Camp and was the first to arrive. I'd stayed in the hut itself at Mount Cook, but knowing it was gonna be busy and having a tent with me, which I suggest that you bring with you if you intend on walking multiple days, I opted to set up my camp in the tent sites that are dotted around the hut. It wasn't long until the first group of six arrived and they opted to set up tents as well. Now over the next few hours, the camp population grew to 20 people, which is the busiest I'd ever seen a campsite on the bib. The next day I set off relatively early. This was gonna be the longest day of the trip with 22 kilometers to cover. 
The plan for me was to walk to the next hut known as Gringer Creek, set up camp and then walk a short distance to North Bannister where my wife was meeting me to drop off my six year old boys who were spending the night with me at the camp before hiking out the next day. I arrived at Gringer Creek a few hours earlier than I had anticipated. So after setting up camp, I hiked to the petrol station in North Bannister and sat inside the shop whilst the rain outside persisted. Luckily, by the time my family showed up, the weather had dried up and two very excited boys joined me for the walk back to Gringer Creek, where we spent the rest of the day sitting by the fire roasting marshmallows. After yet another cold night, we woke up early, warmed up by the fire, then packed up and hiked to Albany Highway where my wife picked us up and I said goodbye to the bib and set my mind on my next trip only three days later. So with very little time, I somehow managed to unpack and repack for a four wheel drive trip along the legendary Holland track. I also had to squeeze in a week's work in those three days and headed off for four days with my mate Will, my brother Matt and my boys. I've done the Holland track before, but that was three years ago. And this time around, I decided I'd do it in the reverse order of how most people drive the track. So starting in Coolgardie and ending in Hyden, Maddie and I left on a Friday. And as most of my best laid plans go, I didn't get away as early as I'd hoped. So we didn't actually arrive at camp until 9.30 at night. So we set up camp in the dark, had dinner and spent a few hours around the fire watching the most amazing meteor shower in the sky before retiring for the night. The next day my boys woke up early as most six year olds do I'm sure. So before everyone was awake we had a walk around camp to get our bearings. The camp we were at was called Victoria Rock. Most four wheel drivers who tackle the Holland track actually camp here. It's one of the most spectacular granite outcrops within the region. The campground itself offers two walk-in sites, eight vehicle-based sites, and one which is suitable for caravans. We picked the group site and there's dotted around, there's wood barbecues, picnic tables, toilets, and there's an information shelter as well. There is no water provided and you do need to bring your own firewood. It is first in first served and there's no camping or entry fees. We packed up camp and headed to the official beginning or the ending depending on which way you're traveling of the Holland track. Now there are a couple of important things to know before driving the track. Firstly, you need to reduce your tires. The recommended pressure is 28 PSI and turn your UHF radio onto channel 28. So it's easy to remember 28, 28. The Holland track, although remote, is one of the most popular four wheel drive tracks in WA. So always keep your eye out for other vehicles as well as wildlife. The track is 350 kilometers long. It goes from Coolgardie to Hyden. Although a majority of the track is more of a scenic drive than an extreme four wheel drive track, some of the track is only accessible by high clearance four wheel drives. Saying that, there are chicken tracks around most obstacles. The best time to drive this track is in spring or autumn. Don't drive it after heavy rain and don't leave it too late into the season because the flies will send you crazy. The majority of the track is only one vehicle wide. 
there's plenty of ruts, corrugations, whoops, and technical sections to test your vehicle and your driving skills. Some sections are deep and full of water and mud. Unless you're 100% confident in both your car and your knowledge, it's a good idea to drive this track with at least one other vehicle with plenty of recovery gear, plenty of water, and plenty of extra fuel. The track is dotted with plenty of bush campsites. This is proper bush camping, so don't expect to find facilities like toilets. You'll also need to make sure you take extra food, water, and as I said before, fuel with you, as there are no options to return to a road during the trip. The Holland Track has a really interesting history as well. Back in the gold rush days in Coolgardie, when gold was found in 1892, the news spread as people from all over Australia flocked by steamboat and they arrived in Albany. They would then travel to Northam via rail and buy their prospecting supplies. Now to make life easier, if you could call life back then easy, an experienced bushy named John Holland and a party of workers cut a 500 kilometer track through the dense bush in 1893. They did the whole lot within two months. As soon as the job was done, horses and camels were used to move hundreds of prospectors and their gear from Broom Hill to Coolgardie, a trip that back then took two weeks. The track in reality was not actually used for very long because three years after it was created, a railway was built to cater for prospectors. So the track was really no longer needed. It did, however, help farmers in the lower southern part and farmland started expanding during the 1920s, during the creation of the wheat belt. But poor rainfall in the northern part of the track meant the track was all but abandoned and the track was reclaimed by the bush. It was all but forgotten for another 70 years until a group set out to rediscover the track. And in 1992, with the use of a farmer and his tractor, a researcher set out to cut the track from Wattle Rocks to Thursday Rock and the first official four-wheel drive trip occurred on the centenary of Holland's expedition in 1993. Since then, the Holland track has grown in popularity and is now one of the most popular and iconic four-wheel drive tracks in WA. You'll find good-sized campsites every 50 kilometers or so along the entire track. And keep your eye out for granite outcrops. You'll no doubt find a suitable campground just remember to check that you're not pitching your home for the night in a dry riverbed or a creek in case of flash flooding. And don't drive on the rock structures as this damages them and it ruins it for everyone. We drove the track, as I said, in the reverse order that most people drive. So our first highlight on the track was a place called Thursday Rock. The general belief is that Holland named this rock on a Thursday, hence the name because water was often present here, it was a useful place for them to rest their horses or camels. It was also used as a campsite by Goldfields woodcutters. We stopped here for our second night. A fenced area leads beyond foot to Thursday Rock itself. It's a very large rocky outcrop with great views of the region, giving you a really good perspective of the remoteness. And we were lucky enough to share the rock with an emu and its six chicks. We had a late lunch, set up camp, and after sunset, sat around the campsite and just watched the sky as again, meteors soared overhead before retiring to our swags in preparation for the next day. 
Before Holland's achievement at forging a track, gold had been discovered at a place called Fly Flat in Coolgardie. It generated a lot of attention nationwide when the discovery was made public in 1892. Most of the people who flocked to this area in search of riches were inexperienced and lacked the equipment needed, so local stores received a steady stream of income selling tents, picks, shovels, wheelbarrows and panning dishes. It wasn't long until a full-on gold rush was on. Arriving by boat from over east, the streets of Albany became packed and most of these fortune seekers travelled along the Great Southern Railway to York or Northam before then travelling east to find gold. It made sense to create a path further south, however several attempts were made but failed. The most noted was by a man named Mackintosh who left Katanning on horseback in an attempt to travel directly to Coolgardie. Sadly he was never seen again although his horse was eventually found by police in 1892. Various other attempts were made by other adventurers, men starting from either Broome Hill or Katanning. All were failed attempts, forced to return by the harsh environment, lack of water and the impenetrable bush. Now it doesn't take long travelling this track to find yourself imagining how incredibly harsh life must have been for those who attempted to make a living out here and what the inspirations of a man like John Holland were. Born in WA, 37-year-old John Holland was an experienced bushman. He was already engaging in sandalwood cutting and kangaroo shooting in the Broomhill district. Now his idea was to not only find a feasible route but to actually cut a track that could be put into use immediately by horse-drawn carts. Backed by local businessmen, his trail-breaking campaign was carefully planned. Joined by his brothers Rudolph and David and Yukarmandy, all reliable local men with excellent bush experience, Holland waited until the worst of the summer months had passed and they set out in April 1893. They had five ponies that were all in peak condition and one of them was given the responsibility of carrying 100 gallons of water. Wasting no time in travelling the known tracks, within days they were engaging in hacking a path through the dense thickets on the northern part of the course. Each morning Holland would wake up before everybody else and travel roughly 30 kilometres ahead in search of water. But the meagre supplies found were usually from rock holes, soaks and at massive granite outcrops. They were lucky enough to get some rainfall during their progress and they reached Bailey's find on the 18th of June, which is the day after Paddy Hanan found gold in what is now known as Kalgoorlie. They had completed the cutting of the cart track over 500 kilometers in length in just two months and four days, which is a remarkable achievement, especially for back then. And as anticipated, the track was immediately adopted by hundreds of eager diggers joining the rush. In addition to guiding these hopefuls, it was regularly used by horse and camel teams transporting goods and supplies out to the gold fields. And Holland himself used the track to his advantage by creating a carting business on the track and he took his wife with him to live in Coolgardie. For us, we'd only just scratched the surface of the Holland track. So the next morning, the flies were up seemingly before sunrise. We packed up camp and I was relieved to be in the car and left the 10 gazillion flies at camp. The first stop of our day 
was a place called Agnes Namahol. This place was named by a group of historians that travelled the track to commemorate the centenary of Holland's achievement. They named it after Holland's wife Agnes, who was the first known woman to travel the track with Holland in December 1893. She was aged just 20 years old, and tragically she died only five months later of typhoid and so also became the first woman to die in Coolgardie in May 1894. This area is covered in rock with eroded indents in the rock providing water for travellers passing through. The next notable landmark that we passed was Krakow Rock, originally named Newby Rock after Graham Newby, a farmer from Broom Hill joined by a small group retraced the track as best they could between Broom Hill and Mount Holland. After accomplishing this, they then set their mind to retracing the entire track and in November 1992, Graham used a tractor and a compass to walk through the heavy scrub to reclaim the track. We have Graham and his team to thank for their efforts in re-establishing the route. From Krakow Rock, we stopped for lunch at a place called Frank Han's Cat Camp, where explorer Frank Han camped overnight in 1901. Apparently, the reason for the name is simply because Han spotted a black cat here. Han left the camp the next day, where he discovered and named Lake Percy. He was, however, accompanied by three local Aboriginals, so I guess, in truth, he didn't actually discover it himself. After lunch, we continued southwards again along the track to Centenary Rocks. Named in 1993 to commemorate Holland's expedition, this is the location of Pleasant Campgrounds. But for us, it was still quite early in the day, so we pushed on, reaching the crossroads of the Holland Track and Barker Mount Day Road. It's here that a plaque erected by Graham Newbury in 1993 to commemorate Holland and his track. This is the only exit in the area. 80 kilometers down this dirt track takes you to Marvel Lock. Located here is also a guest book that you can leave your name and a note of your trip or whatever you'd like, as well as a box that people have left various items in that you may or may not find useful for someone who may be in need of supplies. Further along the track, we passed a place called Sandalwood Rocks. This is where Holland camped for a few days to rest their exhausted horses before heading out again on the 1st of June, 1893. Named after the sandalwood tree that is valued for its aromatic properties, but sadly these trees have long gone due to commercial logging in the area. Now back in the early days of the track, travellers took around two weeks to travel from Broom Hill to Coolgardie. Three years after Holland's achievement, a railway was extended from Northern to Coolgardie, effectively ending the need of the track. And for several decades, the Holland track was all but forgotten. However, the southern half of the track played an important part in opening up the southwest wheat belt region during the 1920s, and sections of the track were used as part of the region's road network. The northern half of the Holland track, however, was all but lost to the bush, as poor rainfall in this region proved too hard for farming. Continuing our journey along the track, we passed a Malay fowl's nest. They were once common throughout the wheat belt, until industrial clearing of the land destroyed their habitat. The turkey-sized bird survives only in a few wilderness areas. They create huge mounds to nest and rear their chicks in. I'd passed this three years before and it was covered in sticks, but on this visit it appeared to be abandoned as the sticks that were covering the mound are all but gone. All that's left are just small stones and it's slowly eroding away. 
A short distance from the Malay Foulnest, we stopped at a low granite outcrop known as Sheoak Rock. We checked out the view and the trigonometrical station that is used in surveying. This place is named after the Sheoak, a species of casuarina growing around the base of the rock. We were just about finished on the track where we drove through burnt bush for the remainder of the trip. Despite the destruction, the cleared land gave us a horizon-to-horizon -horizon 360 view of the landscape. It doesn't take long for the bush to rejuvenate, and with small green growth carpeting many of the plants, I'm sure it won't be long until this section of bush is in an abundance of life again. This track is relatively new for four-wheel drivers. It wasn't until the mid to late 90s that word of the Holland track began to spread throughout the small four-wheel drive community. This led to a steady build-up of traffic on the route. The track was adopted by the Toyota Land Cruiser Club and track signs as well as maintenance of the track is regularly carried out by its members. Reaching the southern end of the track by mid-afternoon at the T-junction of the Holland Track and Hyden Norseman Road, we stopped briefly to reflect on the last four days before heading towards Hyden and parting ways. The episode is now on YouTube and it's also on my website, epicdriveswesternaustralia.com. As always seems to be the case with me, as soon as I got home, I was already planning my next trip in my head as I packed away and cleaned my gear. So it's November, which means it's nearly the end of 2020. And to be honest, I'm happy to see the end of this year as it's had its obvious pitfalls. But it's also Movember, which is the charity responsible for blokes walking around with big filthy moustaches on their face. Now this charity raises money for men's health, namely prostate and testicular cancer, as well as men's mental health. It's a charity that I've been involved with for years, and this year I'm hosting a four-wheel drive trip down south. The plan is to travel from Cape Naturalist in Dunsborough to Cape Lewin in Augusta by using as many off-road tracks as possible to follow what's called the Cape to Cape track along the coast. That's not happening until the end of the month, so it gives me a lot more time than my preparation for the Holland track where I only had three days to prepare. Um, and I may even sneak in an extra camping trip down around Nanup before that. Now if you'd like to donate to Movember, you can find the link on my social channels. Now summer is nearly here and I can't wait to head out along the coast again. If you're planning a trip or maybe you've just got back from a trip, let me know about it by sending me a message on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you like to use. You can probably find me on there. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm Dan. This has been Epic Drives Western Australia. Catch ya.